This week, Christmas week, as it is each and every year, is also the week of my wedding anniversary. Been married for 23 years this week, which is a reminder of a lot of things to me, including that when Beth and I grew up, and I tell you that I didn't grow up in the church and that neither of us thought we were going to be pastors, it's always a reminder to me that we did not think ministry was going to happen for us because we were looking going, Christmas week? That one should be fine. That, that won't be busy at all, uh, which is true in many professions. We just happen to have ones that this is like the busiest week of the year. And so let's have an anniversary as well, uh, right there in the middle of it. But one other thing I was thinking about this week, because we've been married 23 years, is I was wondering about the decision that we made to get married, not just from our perspective, because it's our story and one we've known, but from the perspective of my wife's father, my father-in-law. Because see, I've been married 23 years now. Been in Texas, have two teenage girls who are 17 and 15, and what that means is I am now closer to being likely a father-in-law than I was to when I was the future son-in-law when we decided to get married. I'm getting old, is what I'm saying. And I think about what was that like when my father-in-law, now father-in-law, found out we were getting married. Would I support my children deciding to get married under the same circumstances Beth and I did? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. And here's why. And again, some, most of you know the story, but just very, very quickly uh, to, to, to say why. We come from two completely different backgrounds. Two completely different worldviews. I grew up on this continent. She grew up in Europe. When we met, I had never set foot in Great Britain, where she is from, and she had never set foot in America before. She is from a rural village in Wales, in Great Britain. It is a blue-collar village, a coal mining village. Her dad was a coal miner. Her granddad was a coal miner. Her great-granddad was a coal miner. She comes from a very tight-knit family. We joke and call them the Von Traps still when they're there because everything they do is as a unit and, and consensus is a very big deal before any decision can be made. I come from a rather fractured family. Come from a family in uh, a large city in Atlanta is where I grew up, Atlanta, Georgia. I have family that was very involved in business leadership, in uh, construction, in civic leadership in the city. We just had two completely different backgrounds. She was a public school person, I was a private school kid. Just completely different backgrounds and cultural worldviews. Now, we both did go to college before we met. She went to a large university in Wales, and as Beth would do, she was very practical, very practical, studied business and economics, because there are practical parts to that, and there are things that you can figure out and things that you do, and it leads to very clear career goals. I went to a small liberal arts college, man, and I was a philosophy major. <laughs> Which meant I got really excited for two-hour seminars where we would talk about what is true, and at the end of it, we'd walk out, and people would be like, so what's true? And you're like, I don't know. We spent two hours just talking about the fact nobody knows what is true or what is real. Does it lead to any practical decisions? None. None at all. But we just sort of talked and agreed none of us know anything. It's from those two completely different worldviews that we met. 
We met because Beth was uh, accepted into the same teaching program that I was in Japan, a program called the JET Program, and she was in one rural village in a a fishing community on the Sea of Japan. She was the only Westerner in her village. I was also in a small village. I was the only Westerner in my village. We were two of the only people that lived within about an hour's drive of each other that we could speak with for more than about 10 seconds at a time. And it was there in the two years of living in Japan that we met, that we fell in love, that we got engaged, and we got married. Some of you have heard, seen, maybe you've done this yourself. If you asked someone to marry you, you went to your father-in-law, maybe your in-laws, and you asked their blessing before you went and asked for their daughter's hand in marriage. I didn't do that. I had never met the man when I asked his daughter to marry me. I had never spoken to him. I had seen like three photographs and heard some stories about him, and that was my full extent of knowing her dad. And so now, as a father, knowing all of this, I think about my two girls in that exact same situation. If I got a call saying, not only have I met this person, but guess what, we're gonna be married, I would kind of go, are you sure? Is it love or a lack of options? I just feel like someone needs to ask. I just feel like somebody needs to ask that question. Because it could be that, like, you know, her dad was going, well, where are you going to live? We don't know. What continent are you going to live on? We don't know. Who's going to have what career choice in front of them? We don't know. What are his career prospects? Well, he majored in philosophy. We had so much that was working against us on paper. And yet, on this, our 23rd anniversary, I continue to be confronted by a fact that no matter what it looked like on paper at the beginning, I am married to the most wonderful, beautiful human being I have ever met in my entire life. And I am grateful for that every day and grateful for the gifts that God has given me. And so I have to sit there in the middle of it and go, how does this work? And why is the thing that I would want something different on paper for my own children, one of the the most amazing thing to ever happen to me? Like, how do you put that together? Were we just lucky? Did we just like love each other enough? I think looking back on it, what Beth and I stumbled upon was actually something that was holier and more important than we realized when it came to making that decision. And I want you to be aware of this and to think about this tonight. Because I think it's the hallmark and the foundation of everything that we come to celebrate at Christmas. I think what Beth and I stumbled upon in making the decision was that it was so overwhelming. Where are we going to live? How's this going to work? Whose career? What what continent? It got overwhelming that in the end it came down to making a decision based on one word and thinking if we could stand and agree on that one word and make a decision based on that one word and that one value, everything else we could figure out. And the word that we had to decide about was with. Did we want to be with one another? And if so, every other decision we were going to make was under the umbrella of being with each other. That if we had clarity and conviction about the word with, 
that where we were going to live and how it was going to work out and all the other questions that were really important, that those would sort themselves out as secondary issues to the primary thing of being with one another. And as I think about that, I think about how much of a formula that is for so many parts of our lives, right? So many parts of my own life. When I think about my life and the best decisions that I've made, the best things that I've done going forward, the things that, that yielded the most fruit, I look back and over and over and over again, and I wonder if this is true for you, that a, a foundation for the decision was that it was based on with. And when I look at my life and think about the decisions that I regret the most, they are over and over and over again when I sacrificed with for the values of when and what and how. Is your small group with you on this idea? Nope, but I believe it's the right thing and it's the time to do it. It's when I've sacrificed with and overlooked it and taken it for granted that those are the moments when I often come to regret. The entire Christmas miracle that we celebrate is all built on that one word, with. And so I invite you to hear the scriptures tonight and to pay attention to the presence of this value as we hear the Christmas story, the story of Emmanuel. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. And while they were there, there came time for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we 
gather today, online or in person, that we would hear your gospel, your good news, and it would change every one of us forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, when we talk about this idea of the entire Christmas story, and really when you think about it, the whole story of salvation for the world that God is writing, it is all built on this one word, with. And that's not just my opinion. That's not because some theologian 300 years ago wrote about it. That comes from the actual words of Scripture itself. That when Jesus is first prophesied about by the angel Gabriel to Mary, when we see in this passage here, there is a term, a specific term that is used to talk about who he is and what he is about. And the term that is used is the term Emmanuel. And there are a lot of terms that we could have used to describe the coming of the Savior into the world. In the Old Testament, there are a lot of terms for God. There's uh, um, uh, Jehovah. Yahweh, I am that I am, all of those are terms used to describe God. In the New Testament, just to describe Jesus, you see lots of terms. Some of them are here in this passage. The Savior, the Christ, Messiah, Redeemer, the Lord. And yet when it comes to this moment, the moment of the incarnation, God breaks in and first in Luke 1 and then in this passage says, I don't want you to miss what this is about. I don't want this to be open to a bunch of terms as to what this is. The one who will be given birth by Mary, this one is to be called Emmanuel. And the term that God says Christmas and the incarnation are built upon, is literally translated God with us. So to say that Christmas is all about the word it with is just saying this is what God has declared to be. And certainly at this time of year, we are often reminded of the power of with. And, and in the midst of a pandemic, we are reminded of how much we have often taken with for granted, aren't we? Some of the things we're most excited about at this time of year are the people that we get to be with, the traditions we get to re-engage with people. Some of us for the first time in two years. And the disappointments we have are those that we are not with for various reasons. The pain that comes of being separated. I think that, that my wife said yesterday that this is... Uh, the thing about this Omicron variant, it seems like it's not the most dangerous of the variants, but in some ways it's the most disappointing. Because people thought for the first time in two years they were going to be celebrating Christmas with people they loved. And in the last 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, many people, including many people in this church, had positive test results. That means at the last minute that once again they will not be with the people they would choose to be with. And no matter how many presents you have under the tree, it doesn't make up for that. I think at this time of year, we are more aware and in this time of a pandemic of the importance of the word with than any other time. And God says that's the root of this entire passage. That's what this whole thing is about. Emmanuel, God with us. So what I want us to do is to just take a couple of minutes to understand today and maybe to do what Mary does in this passage, to treasure, to ponder and to treasure, it says, the gift of Emmanuel, God with us, and what it might mean for you and I this night and in the days ahead. The thing we need to know about with is that uh, psychologists tell us it is one of the most fundamental and important things that each and every one of us needs. 
that as young children, one of the most important things in our development is that we have a strong sense of who our people are and that we need to have a bigger sense than it just being about ourselves. We need people, psychologists say, to belong to, a wider community, a family, a home, a network of people, that these are the people we know where we're accepted. We know that we belong. We are with them, and they are with us. And psychologists say that this is such an important thing to have, that is, we don't grow up with a strong sense of where we belong, that it literally doesn't matter what school you graduate from, what diploma you have, it doesn't matter what zip code you live in, doesn't matter what bumper sticker you can put on your car about what your children have done, that if that sense of being with others is not there, there is a void and a wound in us that we have to spend sometimes a lifetime working our way through. You know that's true. I know that's true. Little children know that this is true. Remember when you, you were like in, on elementary school playground at recess and you would play like capture the flag or tag or kickball and there would be two captains and they would have a group of people there and they would choose who's on what's team? You remember the great feeling as the number of people in the pool kept dwindling when finally they picked you and you'd get to go over to the team. And if you watch children on the playground, they're kind of smiling and they go over there. It's not because, oh, I'm, my team's necessarily going to win. It's that principle of going, I'm with them. I've been chosen by them. I've been picked by them. It means something. Even on an elementary school playground, you can see it. And you can see the power of with in so many deeper senses of the word than that as well. Some of you are aware of a young family at this church that is going through an incredibly difficult time at the moment. Greg and Julie Wynn Neff are a young family here who have three children. Their two older children are uh, wonderful girls, and their third child, their youngest, Gregory, is two and a half years old, a beautiful little boy. As some of you know, in October, they received a diagnosis for Gregory that he was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. For the last two months, there have been a lot of us who have been praying for this family and praying for this little boy as he has gone through weeks and weeks and now into months of chemotherapy and of grueling hospital stays and visits. And so I was surprised this week when at the church we received a Christmas card from Greg and Julie Wynn and their three children. I guess they arranged it when Gregory was on one of his stays out of the hospital and the five of them have a wonderful Christmas card that has been sent out. But as we all know, as people go through often chemotherapy, Gregory pictured there in his treatment has lost his hair. Beautiful pictures of him with his sisters and with his mom and dad. Radiant smile. But what struck me about the card was that his dad, Greg, has also shaved his head and is continuing to shave it, starting from the day when his son had begun to lose his hair. Now, if you know Greg Neff, and some of you do, I'm going to be honest, he had a fine head of hair. <laughs> And Greg is a man that is getting to an age where you cannot take that for granted. <laughs> and Greg is in the financial world. There are not a lot of people in his line of work who have shaved their head on a regular basis. And I'm sure a few months ago he wouldn't have considered it. What would his clients think? 
How will it grow back? What will that mean? You see, his little boy is in the hospital now. And there's something powerful about a decision made on with. That Greg has shaved his head so that his son, even in the midst of grueling chemotherapy treatments, can open his eyes and see his dad and that his father is saying to him without speaking a word, you are my son. And I am with you. And you are with me. And you are not on this journey by yourself. It's a powerful thing to make a decision based on with. It's a powerful thing when all the other issues and all the other questions and all the other values fade away and that becomes our singular focus. And the Nefs are worshiping with us online tonight. And know that you are loved and prayed for. And God bless you. Jesus came into the world built upon with. And that meant that he came in as an infant into a small and stinky stable with cattle that were lowing, whatever that means, and sheep that were there, and shepherds that were there, and a lot of bacteria that was probably there, and there were angels, and if you go outside of the Bible, there may have been a drummer boy, which is what you want with a newborn, and it was just chaos, and noise, and dirt. To two young, unmarried parents who were not wealthy, who were not connected, who were on nobody's who's who list, And at that first Christmas, Jesus is declaring to them, I'm with you. You are chosen. I choose you to be a part of a miraculous story. You see, when you understand that, you understand that the Christmas story sings forward to you and I, and Emmanuel says that today. You matter. God is saying tonight, I'm with you. In all that we were going through in life, in all that we are going through in life, in the ups and the downs that life has to offer, I am with you. And you are with me. And when we can understand that, when we can understand that God has given us and built everything upon that value of being with one another, then as Jordan saying earlier in O Holy Night, that when we capture that, what we understand is that our souls feel their worth. And that is my hope for you this Christmas, that tonight your soul would feel its worth. For God is with you. You are chosen, loved, desired, picked. And there is no greater gift than you have than God says this is all about with. This is all about that I am with you. But what it also is is a promise for the future. It's a promise that in the future, that all that we face, we will face with God. All that you and I face today, all that we face tomorrow will be with God. John Calvin, the father of Reformed theology, was asked about the miracle of Christmas and why it's worth celebrating. And this is what he wrote. 
He says, ungrudgingly, he, Jesus, took our nature upon himself to impart to us what was his and to become both son of God and son of man in common with us. What Calvin's saying there is that as Jesus comes into the world, he takes our human nature upon himself, but that in Jesus and in faith, what is given to us is a divine nature that we now share in that nature with Jesus, Jesus, just as Jesus shares in our human nature with us, that you and I, fully human tonight, are declared to be the righteous sons and daughters of God. That is, Paul said you are adopted children, adopted heirs into the gift of grace. And so that we can face the future with hope. Because Jesus is the one who has gone before us and he has seen all that this world has to offer. He has suffered through uh, loss and tragedy. He has suffered through betrayal and gossip. He has suffered through his own death. He has gone through all of the different stuff we have and he has overcome that and triumphed over it. And what he says is, is that as you and I face that as well, we will not face it alone, but we face it bound to the one who is bound to us, who has already come through it all and that his nature is in us. And as he has overcome all of the difficulty of this world, so shall we. It is a miracle that we are given, that we celebrate. Christmas is not some plastic holiday where we act really nice and just have 24 hours to turn away from what is hard. Christmas and Emmanuel at their core are a powerful shot across the bow of all that is broken in this world and all that is broken in our lives to say that we shall overcome. And in the midst of all that the last two years has had to offer to us in a pandemic and in divisions, in loss, in struggle, and in difficulty, I want you to hear that promise and claim it. And as Mary says, treasure it in your heart this night. That God is with you. This whole story is built on that one word. And it is a word of hope to carry us from this night and to see us through whatever life can bring. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray for this miracle to shine brightly in our hearts this night and always. And we lift this prayer up in the name of Jesus. Amen.